0: Turn to the book of Isaiah, please, in your Bibles. First of all, to chapter 9. We'll read from chapter 9 and from chapter 11 this evening. Turn to chapter 9, page 692, if you have a church Bible. Isaiah chapter 9. And we'll read... First of all, verses 1 to 7, and well, we were thinking this morning about how all of the Old Testament points ahead to Jesus, but there are certainly some parts of it, and especially some prophecies like from men like Isaiah, that very clearly point ahead to Jesus and to his coming, and this is one of those sections that we have here and well in this part of Isaiah we'll read from chapter 9 and from chapter 11 as well about the promised one the one that God would send and that's what we read of now but this child that would be born Isaiah 9 verses 1 to 7 first of all this is God's word But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun And the land of Nathbali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea. The land beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. On them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And the throne of David, on the throne of David and over his kingdom... To establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Then turn to chapter 11 please. Chapter 11 verses 1 to 9, where we read further of this promised one, this coming one, described as a, as a shoot coming forth from the stump of Jesse, from that, that family tree, family line of David that we thought about this morning from Matthew chapter 1. So we read now Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb On the Adder's Den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen. What is the fear of the Lord? It seems like. That would be an important thing for us to know. The whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, speaks of the fear of the Lord. We've sung psalms tonight that mention the fear of the Lord. It's important because of what we want to look at tonight as a theme verse or well maybe a launching pad of a verse for, for a study in many parts of God's word, but Isaiah chapter 11 verse 3 is a verse we read earlier turn to it if you can have a bible open in front of you please page 695 it seems like it would be important for us to know what the fear of the lord is because this verse this prophecy from about 700 years before the time of jesus but looking ahead to him and describing him tells us that he will delight isaiah 11 verse 3 he will delight in the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So how do we understand all that the Bible says about fearing the Lord? And especially how do we understand that when you, you hold alongside that the fact that the most common command throughout all of scripture is don't be afraid. Is there a right kind of fear and a wrong kind of fear? And alongside all of that the, the possible confusion from the fact that sometimes it can seem like Christians divide themselves into two camps about this sort of a thing. There are those that it might seem as if they only ever talk about God's love and God's grace and never anything about this theme tonight, fearing the Lord. Then it also seems sometimes there's another group that's as if they're angry about that and they overemphasize just how afraid of God we should be. One writer says about the fear of the, of the Lord, and I mentioned that I, I grew up in this congregation and, and, and some of you know me quite well and some of you who've tried to feed me over the years will know that I'm a fussy eater and particularly I don't like vegetables. So I like this picture this writer gives. He says that it seems the fear of god must be the gloomy theological equivalent of eating your greens. It's maybe good for us. We'd rather leave it to others while we dig into what's more tasty. Well, in words that some of you never thought you'd hear me say tonight we're going to eat our greens and I think I hope we will find them tasty. We want to understand this fear of the Lord. And as I begin, and as we begin to think about it, I need to confess as well that there are times in my preaching in the past, and even as I've introduced psalms like some of the psalms we've sung this evening, I've almost tried to explain away the fear of the Lord as if it's something that we or I am embarrassed about. I'll say things like, it's reverence. It's awe. And yet there is a place for fear of this breathtaking God. The God that we preach from this pulpit, the God that we worship, is not a safe God. reverence and awe is part of fear. We'll come back to that. But it's not a full enough picture. So we want to try and begin to Not fully grasped, maybe, but begin to understand tonight, is there a right kind of fear and a wrong kind of fear? Greater fears have a way of making lesser fears shrink. And so we want to see tonight that actually the problem in our world and the problem in our own hearts is not that there's too much fear, but that there's the wrong fear. Proverbs 29 begins to point us towards it when it says, The fear of man is a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And I want to think about this especially tonight, because at this time of year, many people are happy to give some thought to baby Jesus. But we need to realise as we do that, that that baby born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, That one whom God had promised to send throughout all the centuries. This fear of the Lord matters to him. Isaiah 11 tells us his delight, his delight, shall be in the fear of the Lord. So let's think tonight about Jesus Christ's delight. Jesus Christ's delight. And we'll notice three points. First of all, a fear that flees. A fear that flees. This is a fear that we don't want. I think it's fair to say that the world we live in has never been more fearful than it is right now. There is a culture of fear, whether it's because of terrorism or extreme weather or pandemics or political turmoil. One writer says we're protected like never before, but we're panicky like never before. A few years ago we had uh, the UN Climate Conference came to Scotland. I may not normally remember that sort of thing, but it was in Glasgow at the exact same time as we had planned a presbytery meeting and all these roads were closed. We had to reshuffle all of our plans around the UN of all people and seem to realise the importance of the RP Church of Scotland. But this is a big thing where there have been other climate conferences in other places since then. Now of course it's totally right and biblical to care about God's creation. But it does feel like with so many people having taken God out of the picture and the fear, the right fear of God out of the picture that not only does our personal health but also the planet's health becomes The ultimate concern and for these reasons many, many people are living in fear. Now we'll see tonight that there is a right fear that we need. But there are many wrong fears also and at the heart of most wrong fears is unbelief. One old preacher John Flavel said, the less faith the more fear. The less faith, the more fear. Fear is generated by unbelief and unbelief strengthened by fear. All the skill in the world can never cure the disease of fear till God first cures us of our unbelief. Or put another way, it's sometimes said that anxiety grows best in the soil of unbelief, but it withers in contact with faith. And so we we can see clearly there is a fear that we don't want. And we see this fear when it comes to God and spiritual things as well. Unbelievers should be afraid of God. This is what Adam and Eve felt when they hid in the Garden of Eden. There is a a sinner's fear that drives us away from God. That's why our first heading tonight is the fear that flees. Many non-Christians hate God and continue as rebels in their hearts. And they want to live that life. And they want to keep going that path. And they don't want to be exposed as sinners. So they run from God. It's a fear that flees. And this sinner's fear drives men and women further and further away from God. They have no peace of mind when they think about God. And so they don't want to think about him. And they don't want you or I to speak about him. Because then that would make them think about him. And when they think of him, this fear grips them. And so with this fear, and without Jesus as a go-between, you would never approach God. God is a consuming fire, the Bible tells us. How can you go near him without Jesus? With this fear and without Jesus' sacrifice, you have no access to God's throne. With this fear and without Jesus, you'll never come to God. It's a fear that flees. It's a fear that we don't want to continue in. Charles Spurgeon was a famous preacher in the 1800s. He said, your fear must link itself with the goodness of God. As displayed in the person of his dear son. Or else it cannot be that seeking fear, it will be a fleeing fear. That's what we're thinking about first of all tonight, this fear that flees. He says a fear that will drive you further and yet further away from God into greater and deeper darkness, into dire destruction. In fact, into that pit whose bottomless abyss swallows up all hope, all rest and all joy forever. That's the fear that flees. That's the outcome. That's the result. Now we do also need to be warned. As we think about this. The devil wants to promote this kind of fear of God. The devil wants people to be afraid of God. So that they flee from God. Another old preacher said this. Satan labors. This is his. His hard work. This is what he wants to do. Satan labours to represent God by halves. Only as a consuming fire. As clothed with justice and vengeance. That's only half the picture. The devil would want us tonight to stop this sermon. Or to stop listening to this sermon at this first point. For nothing to be said about the Holy Spirit's work to produce a wonderful fear. That draws us to God. For nothing to be said about God's perfect love through Jesus. That casts out this fear. First John 4.18 There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So it is only part of the picture but it's a part we need to know about a fear that flees. Well, let's, let's not stop there. Let's fill out the rest of the picture. Our second point is a fear that falls down. A fear that falls down. There's also a fear that we should want. A fear that moses could talk about in exodus chapter 20 verse 20 in the same breath as the fear that we don't want if you read his words in that verse it could seem for a moment like he's contradicting himself like he's saying opposite things moses says to god's people there exodus 2020 do not fear for god has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you same sentence do not fear but also do fear him see there's a fear that draws us to god rather than drives us away there's a fear that falls down rather than flees so what is this fear that we should want this right kind of fear well I said at the start that I was wrong to to just say fearing God is awe and reverence. But it is still part of it. It's not the whole answer, but awe is part of this right kind of fear. A sense of awe and wonder at the greatness of God. We we probably know what that, that feels like sometimes when we we would stand in front of a vast ocean and gaze at it or look up into a spectacular night sky or feel something of the immense power of God in a thunderstorm or see it in the intricate detail of nature and we just feel small. Not necessarily in that moment Afraid but small. And yet also full of delight. Spurgeon said like a child. Who rejoices to see his father's wealth. His father's wisdom. His father's power. Happy and at home. But feeling oh so little. Oh when we think of God's greatness. That moves us to fall down. In reverent adoration. That's part of it. There's a sense of. There's a sense also of being overwhelmed by the holiness of God. The book of Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 20 says the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. We are so Sinful that even a glimpse of God and his holiness silences us. Brings us to our knees in repentance and confession and humility. So try to piece together this picture. There's, there's being overwhelmed by his holiness. There's awe at his greatness. There's reverence for his fatherhood. As loving children, we feel holy awe and reverence as we realise our relationship to our dear, loving, tender, full of pity, Father in heaven. And the nearer we can get to him, the happier we are. And we don't want to grieve him or turn away from him. All of this is part of the fear that we should want. A good and a right and a proper fear of the Lord. Now some some who might maybe even as you listen tonight, or some other Christians might say to us, We don't want to talk so much, think so much about the fear of the Lord. It's hard to take that seriously when you see how much the Bible has to say about it. But people might say to us, Well, you know, now that Jesus has come, it's it's we don't we don't fear god anymore that, that that's all that's been dealt with that kind of thing well, that, there's lots that's wrong with that view suggests that that god has changed that, that, that the bible is is not one message from beginning to end but also this right fear of god the second point that we're thinking about tonight it's actually spoken about as a blessing of god's new covenant so this new thing that God will do among his people. Jeremiah 32, you might be familiar with some of these, this wording. They shall be my people, God says, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart. And then God says, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts. That they may not turn from me. So this isn't an outdated thing. This is the, the, the blessing of the new covenant. To have the fear of God put in our hearts this right fear of god it's not just a fear of punishment if we jump from jeremiah 32 into the next chapter chapter 33 god reels off there a catalog of pure blessing forgiving his people cleansing them doing great good for them and right there in the middle of all that list after list after list of blessings from god is this that they'll fear and they'll fear him because of all this good that he does to them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide. So this is not some outdated thing we do want to think about. This is not your theological greens, your Brussels sprouts that will push off our plate tomorrow or I will. This is not your, uh, just something that, that's just uncomfortable or, or we don't want. This is in God's word tied in with blessing and his goodness. It's not just about a fear of God because he's going to punish us. Because it's God's word ties it in with his blessings as well. It's not separate from his goodness and his grace. Here's another example. Genesis 28. We're told about Jacob. And he was afraid of God. But why was he afraid? Well, it was actually, again, it was in response to God's promises of blessing after blessing after blessing. It was in the face of God's pure goodness and God's absolute grace. And we read that Jacob was afraid. So, this is not only awe. It's not only respect. It's not only reverence. There is also intense happiness and fullness in the true and right fear of god marveling fear that's what one writer calls it marveling fear he says the living god is infinitely perfect and Quintessentially, overwhelmingly beautiful in every way. His righteousness, his graciousness, his majesty, his mercy, his all. Let me give you that again. I think it's good and helpful. The living God is infinitely perfect. And quintessentially, overwhelmingly beautiful in every way. His righteousness, his graciousness, his majesty, his mercy, his all. So... We don't love this God properly, unless our love for him is a trembling, overwhelmed, or as the Bible would say, fearful, fearful love. So what is the fear of the Lord? Can we can we draw all of that together and try and get a helpful sentence that, that we might help us to understand this what's the fear of the lord is being overwhelmed by his infinite perfection and beauty and righteousness and grace and majesty being overwhelmed By his infinite perfection, beauty, righteousness, grace and majesty. That's why our second point is a fear that falls down. We're overwhelmed. We're blown away, we might say. But it's been said, right fear falls on its face before the Lord, but falls leaning towards the Lord. This isn't the fear that flees. This is a fear, yes, that wipes us out, knocks us over. We fall down, but we fall down leaning towards him. Fearing God isn't being afraid of God. But it also isn't cool, controlled lack of passion when we think about him. In the Bible, believers who have this godly fear tremble before Him. To experience the living God means we can't contain ourselves. Seen clearly, the dazzling beauty and splendour of our God should make our hearts quake. And so maybe actually we need to repent of being so controlled, so reserved. So restrained. One writer says "If the fear of God is no mild-mannered, reserved or limp thing. It is a startlingly physical, overpowering reaction. Think of people in the Bible who encountered God in a really significant, direct, unforgettable way. They fell down. They felt, they felt faint. People around them thought they were maybe dead. And so we want to be careful that there's not something in our Northern Irish temperament, maybe even in our Presbyterianness, that's too restrained, that instinctively holds back can we say that that, that we know what it's like to feel overwhelmed by his infinite perfection and beauty and righteousness and majesty and grace you see why it's a good fear it's a good thing it can be a pleasure for us to enjoy his fearfully lovely glory Fearing the Lord describes a sheer intensity of happiness in God. A joyful emotion where our hearts throb with pleasure, rejoicing and trembling at the beautiful perfection of his goodness, his wisdom, his holiness, his greatness, his forgiveness. It's a fear that falls down. Well, we need a third point to make sense of all this. The Redeemer makes the difference. The Redeemer makes the difference. We've seen tonight the the fear that we don't want and the fear that we should want. We've seen a fear that flees and a fear that falls down. A fear that shakes or a fear that seeks. We could think of it as the fear of slaves or the fear of sons. So, what makes the difference? Well, let's come back. We've, we've touched on lots of other verses, but let's come back to our theme verse, Isaiah 11, verse 3. His delight. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Whose delight? Well, Isaiah 11 is describing for us God's promised Messiah. We read of him there in chapter 11 earlier. This. Shoot that will sprout forth from the stump of Jesse. That's David's family line. Jesse was King David's father. And it's his family line has has declined. There's only it's pictured here, there's only a stump remaining, but still that stump will bring forth a shoot. And we read there in chapter eleven of how he'll be filled with God's Spirit, and he'll have wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is God's promised Messiah. And he delights. Jesus himself delights in the fear of the Lord. Jesus Christ. The promised Messiah. The rescuer. The deliverer. He's the one that makes the difference between the fear that flees. And the fear that falls down. The good news of his gospel, his saving work on the cross for sinners like you and me. That good news frees us from crippling fears and can give us this happy, wonderful fear. This sheer, overwhelming intensity of happiness and delight and pleasure in God. Martin Luther once said, without Christ, we see nothing in God but an angry and terrible judge. Without Christ, we see nothing in God but an angry and terrible judge. In other words, without Jesus, we'd only have the first point of tonight's sermon. That fear that flees from God. But he makes the difference. The Redeemer, the Rescuer, the Messiah makes all the difference. The Bible tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowing God through Jesus leads us to richer, deeper, sweeter fear. It moves us beyond only knowing him. Only knowing God as a, a spectacular creator or an angry judge. To knowing God as a father through the redeeming work of his Son. In fact, it's Jesus' own fear of God that we come to share in. It's Jesus' own fear of God as his son, that right and perfect and true fear that we come to share in. His fear, Jesus' fear of the Lord, the fear that he delights in that we've read about tonight That's not the dread of a sinner before a holy judge. That's not the awe. That's why I said at the start, it's not enough to call it awe. It's not the awe of a creature before an almighty creator. If Jesus fears the Lord, it it must be more than those things. Jesus' fear of the Lord is the Son's pleasure in and his adoration of his Father. And so for us, what that looks like is the overwhelmed devotion of children marveling at the kindness and righteousness and glory and complete magnificence of our Father. when we have this right fear, when we come as sons and daughters of the Most High God through His Son, Jesus, when we have this right fear, this delighting adoration, we'll find that we'll hate sin. And we'll hate it for itself, not because we fear punishment, but because we treasure God so dearly and we we detest what is against God and ungodly. John Calvin said that even if there was no hell, we would still shudder at offending him alone. So do do you know this healthy fear of God? This fear that falls down rather than flees from him. Do you know this Messiah? Messiah? Who delights in this fear? This fear doesn't make us miserable. Maybe maybe we hadn't hoped for or planned for a a message on fear on Christmas Eve in the evening. We're going to sing in a moment from Psalm 2 about serving the Lord, rejoicing with trembling. Serving the Lord with fear. Sorry, I left out the important word there. Serving the Lord with fear. Rejoicing with trembling. These, these two things, they don't seem to fit together in our world and in our minds. But in God's word, they can and they do. This, this fear and this celebration can live in the same heart, even at the same time. And so our worship, as we in a moment come to sing to this God, our worship at any time, our worship throughout our lives, It can be full of both fear and delight at the same time. That's the difference Jesus makes. And we see it, maybe the simplest, clearest example in our Bibles is in the reaction of the woman who visited his empty tomb. They were eyewitnesses of the risen Lord and they were full of joy and full of fear. Matthew 28 verse 8 tells us they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And that's my prayer for us tonight as we, as we depart, not from an, a, a tomb, but, but from the knowledge of the empty tomb. As we depart, go out from here tonight, as we go out into this week. As we go out towards the end of one year and into a new year, whatever it will bring. May we leave here tonight with fear right, proper, true, biblical, godly fear and great joy Amen Let's stand and we'll come to God in prayer Oh Lord our God we want to come tonight and adore you we want to worship you and honour you and exalt you we want to come before you rightly in the name of your son Jesus and come knowing more of what this true and right fear is that he your son delights in this awe this being overwhelmed at your holiness this reverence for your fatherhood this this marvelling fear this intensity of delight in you and who you are lord our enemy wants us to stay in that wrong kind of fear the fear that runs from you and just wants to keep running from you and be further and further and further from you lord you know our hearts if there are those here tonight who are trying to run from you trying to shut out your voice please when you cause them, instead of fleeing, cause them and all of us, Lord, to fall down. But to fall down leaning towards you. Because there is still such beauty and perfection and wonder about you. And so even in our fearfulness, we, even in our falling down, even in our trembling, even in our feelings weak and tiny before you, we, we still want to lean towards you, O oh God. Thank you for Jesus, the Messiah, promised in these verses we've read in Isaiah tonight. All those centuries before, the one who was pointed to, whose delight would be in the fear of the Lord. And may we come to share in fully and truly and wonderfully in his own delight, his own true and proper and good fear of you, Lord. Teach us, teach us what it is to truly fear you Ask in Jesus' name. Amen.